0: Welcome to another edition of This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy, and cybersecurity. I'm Arj, I'm joining you today again from Awabakal country, and I'm joined again by Jordan. Hey Arch, I'm on
1: Wurundjeri country, and it's good to talk to you after a big privacy awareness week. How was your week?
0: Yeah, it was good. Good fun. We um, had a few get-togethers, it was nice to see you in person, and and for the industry to come together and talk about the topics of the town and all the you know incoming regulation that we're all getting very juiced up about
1: indeed there was some announcements of a new privacy commissioner to be appointed that was Very interesting. Not much of a policy change. I mean, returning the OAIC to the original legislated model of three commissioners. One one might say
0: going back to basics.
1: Back to basics. (laughs) It was, yeah, very, very on theme (laughs) by the federal government there. Yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't tie that to the theme of the week, which is back to basics. But yeah, that was was a big one.
1: But that's not what we're talking about today.
0: We're back to AI. Yeah, yeah. Becoming a dominant theme in our podcast, but Completely understandably, I don't think anyone would be perplexed why that's the case.
1: <laughs> yeah, not at all right. And I think it's such a interesting area because it's so emerging and moving quite quickly. I mean, Lena Khan, who's the uh, Federal Trade Commissioner in the US, in an essay we'll talk about in a minute, compared this moment to the onset of the Web 2.0 era in the mid-2000s. So, you know, the rise of Google and Facebook and others, which, you know, I think is probably fair, right? Or potentially, if even half of these AI promises materialize, which, you know, a lot of them don't. But, you know, if even half of these promises materialize, it sounds like we're going to have a pretty changing world over the next decade or so. So interesting to start talking about it now
0: yeah yeah there was another column in the new york times which is where lena khan published her essay by thomas friedman who's also i think one of the new york times regular columnists and he also wrote a column in the same week about ai and talked about basically this idea of we're usually we're trying to open one pandora's box at a time and he sort of sees climate change and ai as being kind of we're trying to open two of these boxes at the same time and trying to deal with all the Oh, well, we certainly need to deal with all the consequences of that.
1: Given the energy that AI models need, they're very hungry things to get trained. So maybe they're pulling in different directions as well. But um I'm always super or so sceptical about these claims, right? Like people were telling me five years ago that no one would have a job driving a car or a truck by 2023. You know, there were some very confident assertions, all of your Ubers and your Googles and your even Apple was reported to be coming out with a self-driving car. And, you know, there was a lot of very confident forecasting that AI would solve that problem within a few years. And we're still miles from it. So, there's a healthy degree of hype. I mean, in AI as well, AI is notorious for this. Like artificial general intelligence has been on the horizon 10 to 20 years away since like the 60s or something, (laughs) or even before that, actually, even before the age of computers, when people were like making little automatons with clockwork that could like play chess or, you know, clean a floor or something. People were saying, Oh, we're, you know, so close. We're just a few years from automating all these jobs. And it just persistently fails to materialize. So, I'm not convinced that that's not the situation this time around but it's certainly sounding very exciting and so
0: exciting and and troubling I think in fairly equal parts like I think there's a lot of hype in both directions I mean in the sense that there's a lot of positive hype and a lot of you know possibilities about how AI is going to revolutionize the world but at least in my memory of it I mean it feels a lot broader than the autonomous vehicles situation where the spectrum of kind of fear and concern over the dangers, it just feels a bit broader. And I think that leads us into, I guess, what, what we wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, more opportunities for abuse and therefore more need to think seriously about regulation. And so there's a few jumping off points commentary over the last couple of weeks and what's going on in other jurisdictions for a bit of a discussion about models for AI regulation. So starting with some local calls. So there was an event at Sydney Uni, I think this week, where Gradient Institute co-founder and chief scientist Tiberio Cetano called for a dedicated national AI regulator and for establishing an AI harm liability framework. He's not the first person to have called for such things. There's been, you know, calls from the Australian Human Rights Commission and others for dedicated AI regulator and dedicated AI regulation. Um, but he said we need to empower individual regulators, first of all, sector-based regulators. And we'll talk about that a bit in a second. But he also said, but we need AI dedicated agencies, just as we have for finance, just as we have for health, just as we have for any other sort of truly high impact field. So I think that's a good quote and a good framing for what we're about to discuss, right? That, like, how do we regulate AI? Do we need a dedicated set of requirements? Or are we happy with, you know, we already have discrimination law, we already have consumer protection law we already have all these kinds of laws about what you do with these with anything went with any tool are they enough do we need a dedicated set of rules
0: yeah so i think it's going to be a good conversation because i think one of the things we're noticing is that it's very much a global concern like everyone from you know the us to the eu to china australia we're all kind of nationally grappling with this as a matter of national policy but then there's also sort of global approaches and even state-based approaches so the like natural you know nation-based approaches to regulation generally speaking are kind of playing out in this and we'll talk about that but just on the I guess on the domestic front before we do that kind of international comparison we also had an opportunity to hear a little bit from Microsoft's Microsoft Australia's local office around how they view the approach to regulating ai um, there was a parliamentary inquiry during the week into promoting economic dynamism competition and business formation during which ai came up and i think um just from reading you the title of the inquiry might give you a sense of you know how they were thinking about <laughs> the merits of regulation i mean economic dynamisms are fairly loaded term i would think but um yeah no surprise that in the context of that inquiry we actually heard from microsoft australia's director of corporate affairs belinda dennett who made the case that rather than pushing for rushed ai regulation in inverted quotes an industry-led approach you know a sandbox approach would be a better way to do it you know this idea that the companies themselves, like Microsoft, I mean, she shared this quote that said, we're building the standards and requirements into our product. We're being transparent through our audit process. We think this is the only way you're going to tackle these complex challenges like AI. So really leaning heavily on this idea that the companies have the principles and the internal incentives to get this right. Let us regulate ourselves. We'll make it safe.
1: Which, you know, sounds great. And Microsoft has some pretty good uh, like public facing stuff on this they've got a great AI responsibility and data ethics toolkit that's you know super detailed, super useful. They've got a lot of resources. How much of that is you know marketing and presentation versus you know what they do internally? I can't speak to. but I mean I'd note that they're they're in deep with open AI who are completely not transparent about how Gpt4, works or the data that that uses so you know question their commitment when there's billions of dollars on the line
0: right and we we spoke about this last month i mean that we had that conversation about how they laid off their centralized ai ethics and safety function and also there was some reporting on the internal quotes from the leadership about how much of a focus it was just to push forward you know we're in an arms race we've got to win this battle there are commercial drivers here so you know Given that context, given that arms race, given who they're partnering with, like the idea that we just leave it to them to self-regulate is a bit worrisome.
1: And given that in this time of higher interest rates, like all of the big tech firms have shed staff and the trust and safety and responsible design teams have been bearing the brunt of that as we saw of Microsoft. So, yeah questionable how much we can rely on on industry self-regulation.
0: The other thing I just wanted to quickly highlight as well is that there was a quote from um, Microsoft in that inquiry that s- said that, you know, I think the biggest risk is if government feels that government has to come up with the solution on its own, that's probably not going to be workable. The sandbox idea makes sense. Um, and I just think that's, I mean, it's such a straw man about how government interventions and regulatory responses could work. I mean, the the idea that Government would come up with the solution on its own, you know, in quotes, is not how good policy sh- should work. I mean, certainly yes, if government, if a bunch of bureaucrats went into the room and just came up with a draft legislation, that's not going to be workable. But um, what we're seeing, you know, I think increasingly, particularly with tech policy, and we're seeing it as a privacy submission process underway, c- cyber security submission process underway. There's a lot of consultation. It's not government coming up with this stuff on its own, you know, in a void.
1: The other gra- I have about this is this like constant framing of you either can have regulation or innovation and you can't have both. And I just don't think that's fair. I think that, you know, sensibly designed guardrails can give more space for innovation because companies know exactly what's out, exactly what's in, you know, the the idea that sensibly designed regulation that protects people from harm is necessarily damaging to innovation. You know, the idea that in order to innovate, I must be free to harm people, to build dangerous products without consequence is kind of crazy to me. So I don't like that
0: framing. One of the things that is potentially a legitimate gripe uh, that was raised by Microsoft there was about the idea of a more coherent domestic regulatory framework. And I don't think this was necessarily discussed specifically in relation to AI. It was just generally in relation to technology policy and Economic dynamism, but just this idea that there's a risk of multiple, you know, portfolios trying to regulate tech policy. And then that that could kind of lead to, you know, duplication and inconsistency and make it really hard. And I think that's, I think a particularly pronounced potential problem with AI, which I think we'll talk about, which is that, you know, where does it sit? You know, the the harms that we're trying to regulate sit in many different places. The uses of the technology are going to be, you know, cross-industry, cross-economy. So how are we going to regulate this in a consistent way and in a way that's not kind of cross-cutting? Yeah,
1: and that's a good... place to pivot to say what the US is doing versus what the EU is doing. Um, Because there's, I think, elements of both philosophical and practical approaches that are relevant to us or useful to us. And it really kind of shows the difference between trying to regulate on the sector by sector basis on, you know, you used AI in a consumer product and therefore you must comply with consumer protection laws versus you used AI at all anywhere and here's a set of requirements that you must comply with anytime you use AI and those requirements have to be consistent or sensible across the whole economy, which is, you know, a different design task for rules. So, you know, the the general US approach, I think, is really embodied by this recent essay from Lena Kahn, who's the chair of the Federal Trade Commission in the US, which has responsibility for competition consumer protection. So they're the US's AC. I, I mentioned earlier she's comparing the current era with AI to, you know, the rise of the social web and Google and Facebook, and she's lamenting that we didn't do more early on in the rise of the social web so you know she says that what we initially conceived of as free services were monetized through extensive surveillance and what began as a revolutionary set of technologies ended up concentrating enormous private power over key services and locking in business models that come at an extraordinary cost to privacy and security so um, you know her message is that we need to look at this now, we need to look at this early, and that her commission, the American Federal Trade Commission, will be essentially out and about enforcing their patched competition and consumer law through the lens of competition and consumer law. She's not calling for broad AI regulation, whole-of-economy regulation. She's saying, my agency will look at the competition impacts – and the consumer protection impacts we're going to enforce that
0: i really like the sort of evocation of that moment in time of the mid-2000s and sort of as we embarked on web 2.0 um the language that like the trajectory of web 2.0 was not inevitable you know it was shaped by a broad range of policy choices so i think it really sort of sharpens the focus on where we are today you know we can kind of allow it to run and not make deliberate choices now and then kind of, you know, suffer the consequences of last time with social networks. Um, and I mentioned that Thomas Friedman column, which was around the same time, you know, he sort of says along the same lines, which is that there was this utopian thinking that only good things could come from social networks. And then we sure enough learned that You know, they had a lot of harms that they could cause to some fairly fundamental pillars of our society, like, you know, democracy and, you know, civic discourse. So, I think it's really good to focus us on that kind of, that's where we are with AI potentially.
1: You know, you had the same thing in like the 80s and early 90s with the dawn of the internet as well. All these like utopian thinking around cyberspace as this new jurisdiction, this new utopian place which I think can kind of get in the way of our ability to see these harms coming. So it's good, you know, and I think we've said this before on the podcast, I think we are better equipped and maybe more cynical today than we have been in the previous iterations of these kind of information technology-based developments to kind of see the harms. And one particular harm that Lena Kahn points to that I think is not – adequately for me um emphasized in the ai debate or the discussion about ai is how it does affect competition or how it concentrates power in those handful of incumbent tech platforms so like the gradient institute guy um tobaro cetano described ai as democratizing and described the chat gpts of the world as democratizing technologies when I think that's just wrong. I think they democratize certain capabilities. You know, maybe you can build an app when previously it was harder. But the actual technology is really reliant on massive processing power and massive stores of data. And there's like five companies in the world that have that at the scale that's required to develop these kinds of technologies. It's not democratizing. It's you know you use GPT-4 as a service from OpenAI, and they can turn it off whenever they like they can control who uses it they can control who builds services on it so if just like the social web if this is to become a underpinning technology for everybody to innovate on with these companies in the center with total control of it that's a real problem from consumer protection point of view, from a competition point of view, and from a kind of privacy point of view as well.
0: It's funny, though, um, I agree with you that that focus that came out of Lena Kahn's essay around that sort of, you know, dominance, entrenched dominance of those big tech companies is not something that we ha- have normally heard in this debate, so it was good to bring that out. It's funny, though, because the, the way some of that landed with me, though, was a little bit jarring in the sense of... As much as it was great to sort of position this as like, let's learn from the lessons of the past. Let's not forget what happened with Web 2.0. Let's make sure we regulate and think about these risks now. I also felt like the framing that that is often the case in the US of let's approach this problem from a consumer and competition lens was also potentially like recreating errors of the past, you know, sort of looking at these challenges around technology And it's intersection with us as individuals and our data, but through a sort of strong competition consumer lens, or at least putting more over emphasis on that as being the dominant framing is kind of where we have led to some of the challenges we have in privacy and data protection around, you know, this kind of notice and consent model. And with AI in particular, like, you know, there's a broader set of harms that uh, don't really necessarily come through in that lens you know those things like discrimination that maybe goes beyond discrimination for, as a consumer the way that ai can kind of impinge on fairness and inclusion and all of that those things might be left out of the conversation if you know if we sort of drive i mean like lena kind didn't write the headline in the new york times like you know people who write columns don't write the headlines but it, the headline of the column was you know, we must regulate AI, here's how. And then the piece broadly just talks about competition policy and markets and, you know, fairness of markets and so forth. And so that was just the one little thing that went off for me was like, that's a very kind of, I guess, a US approach. And that's really the, that's the mechanism they have at the end of the day to look at something like this, but um, just a sort of little bit of a warning sign.
1: Consumer protection law also, very importantly, doesn't take into account, say, government uses or law enforcement or intelligence services uses of AI. And like you say, there's a whole world of kind of rights type, risks and discrimination and other kind of impacts that that focus is just completely blind to. And that's something that we talked about a little bit in the context of facial recognition regulation in Australia, the Human Technology Institute's model law that they proposed for regulating facial recognition, because what that does is propose a whole regime for regulating facial recognition for law enforcement. That's what the EU approach does that the American approach misses or that like relying on existing laws can often miss. So what the what the Europeans do or are proposing to do, um, the European Parliament is working on an AI Act which would regulate any use of AI and it's Drawn quite broadly. You know, the definition of AI under that act would take into account, you know, all sorts of facial recognition and text prediction and generative AI, but it would also um, take into account kind of simpler models of scoring and prediction and assessment that might be used. That law is not finalized. It's still in this kind of relatively complex European drafting process. But what that law effectively does is rates artificial intelligence applications in terms of their risk to individuals to human rights and puts restrictions graded restrictions on those technologies based on that so and some of those restrictions relate to kind of transparency about use they relate to humans in the loop they relate to publishing the Training data that was relied on, and you know, academic access and regulator access to algorithms to, ins- you know, to audit them and so on. This set of AI focused restrictions that would apply to any use based on the risk. I think that gives you this overlay of really tailored protections that give that added layer of protection that applies across the economy and applies to, say, law enforcement as
0: well. Uh, I mean, two observations with it. One was AI is dealt with you know, or at least algorithmic decision-making is dealt with at some level in other types of digital legislation as well, like things like GDPR and the Digital Services and Digital Markets Act. So they have some level of focus on that, but then to give, as you say, like a much more focused approach to AI technologies, really kind of driving that risk-based approach seems like it's a much more stronger overlay than what we might see out of the US. The other thing I just found interesting was the fact that as of February, the EU AI Act actually had no reference to generative AI or chatbots in it. They hadn't contended with it or certainly hadn't felt that it necessarily needed to be explicitly addressed. And then, you know, post-ChatGPT and ChatGPT4 have been scrambling over the last few weeks to update the text to address it. And they've surprisingly for Brussels, managed to uh, make that happen and update it, kind of gave me two thoughts. Because my my first thought was, does this in some way suggest a liability of something like an EU AI Act? Like this technology just seems to be so nascent, moving so quickly that to try and specifically have a piece of regulation or legislation around the technology when within a matter of months, it can be seen to be, you know, completely missing one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle. Does that speak to, you know, some sort of limitation with this kind of very focused AI act given the speed of technology? But then the broader takeaway I think I have is that Maybe it is necessary, but maybe it speaks to the fact that policymaking needs to be much more nimble and agile. And, you know, and that's kind of what we did see at the end of the day that sort of had that process happen and reflected those changes.
1: Yeah. And I I think it's, it says something about how you design these laws, right? Like it doesn't make sense to regulate particular AI technologies, right? You know, they're not regulating facial recognition or employment screening processes or generative AI specifically. They're regulating AI in a broad sense, and they're giving a broad set of rules that scale based on the particular circumstances of the deployment, which is an approach that is much more durable. And as you say, they've demonstrated a degree of flexibility or a degree of responsiveness in in the drafting. The other thing they were responsive to, which I think is a product of the recent discussion around GPT-4 and generative AIs generally, it will also include, it's reported a requirement to publish your training data, which is something that OpenAI do not do for GPT-4 and is something that is increasingly the subject of legal challenge that, you know, with these picture, we've talked about the text-to-image generative AIs. Some of them are trained on copyright photographs. There's a lawsuit from Getty. There's lawsuits from other artists about the improper use of their productions, their pictures. Um, and there's similar concerns about the copyright status of the text that was used in GPT-4. And they've so far been immune from such suits because nobody knows, right? You, nobody's got access into the data that they actually use. So, you know, another point where I think that EU legislative process is actually keeping quite up to date with the current uh current issues um so just to tie these things back a little like we've just talked about two different regulatory approaches this kind of sector-based approach to say look we don't need to regulate AI as a thing independently. If you discriminate, it's against anti-discrimination laws. If you take advantage of a customer, if you have unfair market power, that's consumer protection. That's competition law. You know, we have a set of laws that restrict corporate behavior in certain ways, and we have regulators for those laws. And so, we don't need something dedicated for AI. And then you've got the European approach, which is to say, well, you know, actually, the laws we have don't go far enough, and this stuff is special and different, and there are particular requirements that we need to put in on it, like transparency, that we need to put in for AI that don't get covered by those sector-based requirements. Is that a fair characterization?
0: I think so. I think so. And it's probably worth looking at the other way that this is being kind of approached as well. So there's there's that sort of sector-based versus sort of technology-focused, AI-focused regulation. And then there also seems to be a bit of a cleavage in the fact that the EU is much more likely to kind of go down this much more strong regulatory pathway around AI and how to deal with the risks. And what we're starting to see out of the US is a different approach that's much more consistent with the way they generally approach uh, a lot of regulation, which is To let industry drive, you know, this was the sort of Microsoft call earlier on in the conversation, but to let industry drive things on the basis of a body of guidance and research and best practice. Let's get the energy into making clear and understanding around what the best way to deal with this is, but let's not impose any kind of strong requirements on organizations and so a fairly symbolic example of that was this meeting the other day at the White House. So very high profile meeting with the CEOs of four American companies who are at the very top end of this AI push. So Alphabet or Google, Anthropic, Microsoft, and OpenAI. And it was really to get them together to talk about, you know, how we're we going to make sure AI is safe, responsible, and ethical. And I mean Looking at the announcements that came out of it, I think it's fairly instructive as to sort of where they want to take things. It wasn't to kind of move forward with a regulatory framework. It was announcements around investments in responsible AI research, the commitment to public assessments of generative AI systems, and then some draft policy guidance on how the US government would use AI systems. Um, and then this is all on the back of some previous work that's happened over the last weeks and months, things like the US National Institutes of Standards and Technology. NIST has put out an AI risk management framework. So again, it's kind of Guidance and best practice for industry to use. We've got this so called blueprint for an AI bill of rights. But I mean, if you look at that, it's really more about articulating a set of principles that we want AI systems to be designed to. And so again, you know, it's just interesting to see because it feels like. For the most part, it feels like there's a consensus even between the EU and the US around, broadly speaking, what the principles of safe AI is. You know, we we know that there are things like transparency and commitments to fairness and privacy and non-discrimination and things like that. And then even the idea of a risk-based approach, you know, that's language we see in both jurisdictions. But the US is very much going down this very different path, which is about guidance, best practice, Encouraging and coaxing and kind of pushing as much as possible industry to do the right thing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, say what you like about the complexities of the EU legislative framework and their trilogues and various other committees and processes. They're actually able to pass EU wide legislation in a way that right now the US is not particularly. So, you know, perhaps that's part of the driver too. And the EU is. More than willing to say, you know... Do this or we will fine you 6% of your global turnover.
0: Uh, there's this great write-up by the Brookings Institute about the different approaches, and they have this great quote about the US. It was, the US has invested in non-regulatory infrastructure, which is kind of like <laughs> how they approach like invested in non-regulatory infrastructure. I like that as a way of saying they don't want to pass any laws. <laughs> I like where the negative is in that <laughs> sentence, right? It's not the US has not, not invested in <laughs> regulatory
1: infrastructure yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny i think lessons for australia is that we should go somewhere in between those two the, like i love lena khan's piece first of all it's excellently written it's great to read but i think it's a good point about enforcing current laws and we should do that but I think there is a need for that dedicated regulation and to some extent aligning with that EU risk-based approach, something we talked about with facial recognition and that we were both quite keen on in that context and could probably be expanded out to AI more generally. There are definitely things that we need to regulate for AI in particular, right? Things like access to training data, things like you know having a way to identify whether a picture or a text string is synthetic or not particularly pictures those are the kinds of things that you don't really easily get to through existing laws it's the kind of thing that we need dedicated regulation for so as in a lot of things i think somewhere between the eu and the u.s approaches
0: seems pretty appropriate yeah i mean my mind went back in thinking about this topic to a previous conversation we had about AI, where I think we were referencing a essay by Ellen Broad, who was a professor at ANU at the time, but now an advisor to Ed Yuzik, who's the Minister for Industry and Science, Um, talking about this idea that for the one thing, like AI is a bit of a difficult term because it's a sort of an umbrella for so many things but that speaks to why it's difficult to regulate because it sits in so many different places it can be chatbots and it can be automated decision making and it can be digital assistance but it can be algorithms and so so there's that but there was another reference in that piece she wrote which was about this analogy to electricity and i think there's something in that that sort of speaks to this regulatory approach which is that we still need regulation focused on that high level around electricity generally as a market and how you know how the market operates and the competition and making sure that electricity is generated in the right way that we want you know like particularly now we talk about even things like environmental sustainability but in an ai sense it might be how is this ai built what's it trained on you know like there are some things we want specifically to regulate around AI itself as we do with electricity as a single thing, but then we also have expectations on how it's used and, you know, how different sectors apply that particular technology you know we want safety outcomes we want you know whatever the outcomes that electricity or that ai powers to fit a set set of values and so we have industry specific regulation around that as well and i think that mixed approach just makes sense
1: yeah but you don't you know if a company uses electricity to uh, scam its customers. That's regulated under consumer protection law. It's not regulated under electricity law, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But it also doesn't undermine the fact that we might need something to regulate. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's interesting because I, um, we were always looking at the Microsoft comments. I was just curious, like, this kind of self-regulation approach. Is this what the other big tech players are saying? And I just checked out whether Google had said anything on it. And there was this article from, you know, Google CEO Sundar Pichai says... AI must be regulated, there must be consequences. And I thought, okay, so that's that's a fairly strong position that's a bit different. But when you read the article, he says, deep fakes are a problem. Anybody that uses AI, there must be regulation to stop that. And it was very much like, we might build the AI, but what we need to be regulating is if someone goes off and uses it to to do dodgy deep fakes and scams. And so in that electricity example, it's like we don't just want to regulate the misuse of it. We also want to regulate if the product itself has been built in a way that's not ethical.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's a pretty complicated ongoing discussion for another day about like to what extent is use of AI like a don't blame the gun, blame the person versus what level of culpability do you have for putting these Tools in people's hands and closing your eyes when they use them for terrible things. Chatbots don't breach
0: copyright. People breach copyright.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Deep fakes don't, you know, scam people. People scam people. People yeah, scam yeah. people. Yeah. Cool. Look on that note, let's um wrap up and go enjoy an AI fueled weekend. Sounds good. I don't know what
0: that means. Oh well, well, let's investigate. Let's do it. Thanks,
1: Jordan. <laughs> Have a good one, Arch. I'll see
0: you next week. See you next time. Bye.